0: Hi everyone. I'm Dr. Diane Hamilton. Welcome to Leaders Playbook, a show about how to drive transformational impact in your organization. We talk with innovative leaders across multiple industries to hear about the best tools, resources, practices, and strategies to help you reach the top of your game. I can't wait to share our leaders insights with you. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Dr. Diane Hamilton, and I am the CEO of Tenera. I also serve on the Board of Advisors for the Global Mentor Network. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Tracy Ting of Encore Capital Group, a publicly traded international specialty finance company headquartered in the U.S. that buys debt and offers debt recovery solutions and other related services across a broad range of financial assets. Tracy is their SVP and Chief Human Resource Officer. Earlier this year, Tracy was also appointed to the Board of Directors at Athena, which is headquartered in San Diego, and Athena is a premier women's advocacy and leadership development organization whose mission is to widen the bridge to advance 1 million women in STEM by 2030. Join me as we hear from Tracy regarding combining people with strategy. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you, Diane. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm happy that you're here. You have quite a background, and it's a mouthful to say because you're in so many different amazing areas. And I I wanted to just have you share a little bit of your backstory because to reach this level of success, you must have had quite a path.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. So I've been a, a chief HR officer, CHRO, at global, mostly public companies over the past eight years. Currently, I'm the CHRO at Encore Capital Group. Diane, you mentioned our global headquarters is in in the U.S., so we're in San Diego, California, with employee footprint across nine countries in North and Central America, in Europe, and in India. So I actually started my career in finance and moved into HR over 20 years ago. And from an industry standpoint, I've worked in medical device, pharmaceuticals, and life science tools. And three years ago, made the leap to financial services where I am today. I've always been drawn to companies with a mission that centers on helping people. And that's exactly what Encore does. I took on my first CHRO role in 2014, and I'm on my third CHRO role now at Encore. The last two were in life sciences and pharmaceutical space. At Encore, besides being responsible for people culture, talent. I also oversee ESG, or environmental social governance, and corporate communications, which covers external and internal communications, with the exception of investor relations. Communications and ESG actually complement each other really, really well. On a personal front, I'll just say, so I'm a Chinese immigrant from Hong Kong. English was not my first language, Chinese was. My husband is Black, and we have two biracial teenage daughters. So you can imagine that anything around Topics like advancing women in leadership, career growth, diversity, inclusion are not just topics that resonate with me at work. They also stay strongly with me at home. So I'm so thrilled to be here.
0: Well, thank you for the background, because I think a lot of people, especially if they're listening to this, you know, they they'd like to know, you know, how you became interested in some of the things you're interested in and your path. And I'm curious, you know, I was in pharmaceuticals and banking, so you and I would have plenty to talk about because of the different industries. I love just the different aspects of both of those. And I I think it's interesting to look at the culture. It was so different in both of those industries for at least my two companies. I worked for AstraZeneca, and then I also worked for a small subprime bank, and I've worked in different areas. And culture is a huge part of your work. And you talk about co-creating culture and values and the importance of it. I'm curious, what impact does the co-creation process have on traditionally underrepresented groups like women and minorities? So, Diane, I've always been a
1: strong believer in the voices of the people. So for me, I think when I think of a culture, I think a culture can only be meaningful if it's sticky and it resonates with the people. And so one inclusive technique to make sure that all voices are captured and represented for me has been to invite colleagues to join in the co-creation process. I love that word co-creation as a verb, noun, you know, however, I, however we get to use it. But if you think about leadership in a post-pandemic next normal, I think listening to our people reflecting their needs and wants from their company, it's really step number one. Table stakes but the most important one to start. And I was reading an Egon Zender piece last week that spoke to the importance of CEOs and leaders being humble, empowering, and inclusive, especially nowadays. And it was talking about behaviors like, leader behaviors like willing to lean into their own humility and growth, needing to get out of their tried and true ways of the past and inviting other people's opinions and voices. So what that means, as I kind of re- was thinking through it, reading it, was that it required leaders to be genuinely open, to listen, to engage, to make collective decisions, the type of decisions I think that will foster key outcomes like ownership, accountability, buy-in. That piece was wonderful. And this is also why I love the concept of co-creation, because I think the spirit and itself levels the playing field and it provides equity to all people especially when you think about underrepresented groups like my women and minorities who don't often get the equal share at the table in as far as their voices go. And so Diane, you were you know as far as this this whole concept goes, I firmly believe that you have to be intentional around inclusion and equity. And anytime I've done that in my career leveraging this co-creation concept, I've I've always been in awe of how many of our diverse employees and colleagues around the world want their voices heard and then and they join in on the effort and and even more, more so i think what ended up being what we co-create together are uh, end up not only being long lasting but really meaningful and inspirational because we did it together and so one example i was thinking what that i'm really proud of was around uh, of co-creation was around company values and so if you think about values it's 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 really kind of core core to us core to human being stuff, right? Values speak to who we are, how we act. It centers and anchors how we live and work, right? When we we rely on our values to help guide us in our personal and professional paths and the type of decisions that we would make. And so Encore, a couple of years ago, we embarked on a journey to have our company unite under one set of values because when I joined the company and the company grew a lot, inorganically and inorganically over the past decade. And so when I joined, we had 10 different sets of values from different, really from different acquisitions, companies that we acquired over the years. And for for very intentional reasons, some we integrated, some we didn't. But bottom line is I walked into 10 different sets of values. But the company actually does, yes, we're in nine different countries around the world, but we pretty much do similar things across all the different countries. So for me, it wasn't It was an opportunity to take this co-creation idea and invite our employees around the world to co-create our company values with us, one set of values. And I thought it was an inclusive way to make sure that we hear from everyone. And the result was amazing. So we invited all of our employees around the world to co-create our values. 83% of our global colleagues around the world across multiple countries, different cultural backgrounds leaned in to co-create our three values that we have today. And I'll just share them with you and because they're so simple. One is we care. The second one is we find a better way. And the third one is we are inclusive and collaborative. And the best part was, Diane, the executives didn't write them. Our employees did. And it was just so powerful for me as I kind of sat there as as an executive sponsor of this global initiative. And then this was what came out. This was this represented the voices of our people. So it was it was actually a, a, a beautiful exercise. And, and I'm so proud of, of the work that our colleagues have done.
0: Well, you know, it's really interesting that you had so many different sets of values. You know, I, this doesn't come up very often on the show. And I, I kind of want to touch on that a little bit, because I'm curious of what kinds of things did you have to let go of? Uh, or we're not working for you or, or just, we're just too different from what you have now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Great question. So, you know, it's interesting when I kind of laid all the 10 different sets of of values on the table to look at them. So I would say they're all different, different words, but they weren't necessarily that far off from each other. Or though I would say a lot of the words while they are, Good words. And, and for me, I think about what hits your head versus what hits your heart. And, and I will say a lot of those words were intellectually hitting heads, so hitting my head. I'll just use myself, but it wasn't hitting my heart. And, and when you think about something like values, and this is interesting, and I learned this as I was from a, a service provider that I was working with several years ago, and this balance of head and heart. And so I'll, I'll even ask you, you know, how much when you think about the balance, just think about in percentages, summing to 100%. What is the balance of what should hit your head versus your heart?
0: Well, you know, that's so interesting because you're really talking empathy versus perspective sometimes, you know, and hopefully it would have more, like 80% empathy more. I, I don't know. What is it? Yeah, yeah.
1: So it actually is 80-20. Oh, okay. So 80 <laughs> heart, 20 head. Good job, <laughs> Diane. And so, so that was great because that... For me, it was helpful to say, all right, I think we can take on a journey that focuses more on empathy, focuses more on who we are. And so the way we did this exercise, you know, when you invite thousands of employees around the world to in a co-creation exercise, you also have to think about how do you scale this thing? And so we actually found a company actually headquartered in the UK. We're a U.S. headquartered company, and we found this wonderful company that has a culture survey centered on in values. Their use cases are various. So think of it as companies who acquire other companies may want to compare their culture versus the company they acquire to see how far off they are or how similar they are. That's kind of a, was a primary use case. So we decided to use it for a different use case. We said, OK, well, since your tool is values anchored, let's, let's use it to figure out what our values should be. And by by having our employees tell us. So we went through this exercise, was very e- easily scalable. And then what we learned was, so when you think about survey, you get all kinds of data cuts, right? And slices of the data. What we learned was our employees around the world were way more similar than they were different. So that was great because that allowed us to, to think, okay, we can come up with one set of values. We don't need multiple steps to be meaningful. And so that was kind of the evidence that allowed us to keep going on this journey to come up with the values that we have those three that i read to you it was a very interesting exercise we learned a lot about our culture we learned a lot about what's important and the similarities across all of our employee base no matter which site or country they're from was was the i think that was the most surprising piece we weren't necessarily expecting them to be so aligned but that was certainly a very positive sign.
0: it's really an interesting look if just a lot of the research I do is in perception, curiosity, and emotional intelligence. And you touched on all three of those aspects in, in that. And I, I think what I hear a lot is that a lot of companies don't feel comfortable what, with what they're doing sometimes because they don't know how their job ties in to the overall mission and vision or values of the organization. So what I'm hearing you, you say is they can't help but know <laughs> because they created them, right? Yeah, yeah. And that gives you, you know, you've got skin in the game. You care. How did that impact your engagement? Did you have any kind of way to tell how much this impacted things?
1: Yeah, so we're so engagement is something we continue to measure. And I think it's one of those where even within from a measurement standpoint, we looked at whether these new values are sticky and meaningful. Like, do you actually see your colleagues living our values of we care or we find a better way or we're inclusive and collaborative? And actually the data comes, the initial set of data we got was very positive that, that from a stickiness standpoint, we measure if it's measurable, we probably measure it, which is a good thing. And, and so the first set of data came back, I think in the eighties and the nineties percent of, of positive. Yes. We, we agree or we strongly agree. So that was really positive to know that people feel that the other folks, the, you know, the colleagues they work with are living that. And I think from an engagement standpoint, I would say it's a wonderful way to, to anchor and center people toward a common set of values. Because I, I think for, for, for any company, it's, it's at the end of the day, you, you join a company because you want to feel like you belong there. You connect to it. And, and the connect work, the work around connection and belonging and purpose and, and values is a good way to really anchor purpose are, are all the stuff that we invested in working on and will continue to invest in working on because it's really important, especially if you think about post-pandemic new world of, you know, it's not just a job for money. It's a job that people feel like they believe in, that they, they provide, they add value to, and it's a place that they can connect and belong to. And if they feel all that, they will be more engaged. They will go that extra mile. That's kind of the approach we're taking.
0: I, I think that that's great that you quantify things. And I, you had said that, what was it, your second value? You care, we, we find- A better way. A better way. My handwriting's terrible. If you finding a better way to me is about the curiosity thing, getting out of status quo and looking for things that maybe work differently than in the past. How, how are you measuring the success of that value?
1: You know, that's an interesting one. So we find a better way. So I think you can, you can describe it in, in, in what the words that you just chose. And I would add to that also, I think just always challenging ourselves and finding incremental improvements. Right. And I think we are, we already have that type of culture within us to, to always kind of look, look back at what we've done and say, how can we do it better? And, and better doesn't mean you have to completely turn the thing upside down and transform it. Sometimes it might mean that, but sometimes it might just mean, Hey, let, let us make incremental improvement to a process or to a program or to, to, to something, to, to a way of doing. And then so for us that we find a better way as far as making incremental process, we have. The competency so if you think about our performance if you think about how pe- you know comp- a lot of companies measure performance and I'll simplify it and I'm not saying all companies do this but we we think of like someone's performance as a combination of the what and the how right the what is your goals like the work goals that you have each year each quarter that that sits on you you have to accomplish the how is how you go about doing it and so that those would be competencies so one of our competencies is around agility and innovation. And so agility is a good way for us to, to say, well, are you agile enough to find, to adapt? Are you agile enough to find continuous improvements and continue to adapt to change? That's one of the ways that we we look at how we measure, we find a better way.
0: Well, That's really so important to quantify some of these things. I have a lot of people want to ask me about that because I to find curiosity as getting out of status quo, and I, it connects to engagement, innovation, all the things you're trying to do. And a lot of the companies aren't really measuring a lot of this to see if what they're doing is leading to these outputs. So I think it's great to see a company that really does that. And it's there's so many challenges that you guys face as HR executives, especially since post, you know, it's post-pandemic, all the craziness going on. I'm just curious, what's the biggest issue that you're facing now that you're addressing at Encore? There
1: are so many things that we're looking at and many companies are too. And I certainly, you know, would say we're in, we're in the pack with everybody else. I think we're thinking through the future of work. We're thinking through, you know, this hybrid new world and way of working for, for employees from, you know, what makes the most sense for us. You know, it's interesting. I'll just pick on that one as an example. You know, I think the pendulum swung. From one end, if you if you use pre-pandemic, if you were a 100% work-from-office type of company, and then during the pandemic, if you move to 100% remote just for the safety of employees, I think right now a lot of companies are starting to figure out, okay, the pendulum swung the other way completely, and then we're going to swing back somewhere in this middle space. Where will that swing land? And I think all all companies are probably in the same space to figure that out. And I think the the important thing there, I would say, is as long as the companies can be open to evolving and adapting and listening to their people's voices to kind of figure this out and figure it out means just being very transparent about, look, we don't have all the answers, but today we believe this is the right thing to do. And we'll continue to listen to employees' voices to help inform us of what might we want to explore next? I think that's the piece that's important for that's probably a lot of what the companies are facing into today. Another area, big broad brush area is ESG. I think that's another area that I think companies are all facing into today. No matter what industries you're in, no matter where you are in your ESG maturity, I think a lot of companies are, are facing into that to kind of figure out, well, what should I do about ESG? What are my I'll call them stakeholders telling me, stakeholders like investors or employees or community are all saying that that helps a company decide, well, how, how will I be a sustainable company? What are the important things I must do? What's my role to society, short term and long term? And I think ESG is really helping frame that up in for a lot of companies. And I think a lot of companies, especially US-based companies, are, are working through that at different stages right now. A lot of European companies are, are a bit more familiar with ESGs than US-based companies just because they've been in it a little bit longer. But but that's another area I think a lot of HR leaders are facing into, or HR and business leaders, excuse me, are facing into.
0: Oh, well, it's, it's definitely a top, hot topic when we go into different areas. We always kind of end up at deI and ESG goals. And, and the, you know how are you measuring these things? I, I'd be curious to know the metrics that you use to track progress against your goals and how can we keep management accountable for those goals i mean what are you doing there
1: accountability for me around esg and dei so far what we've done and again you know this is an this is an evolving growing journey for us so what we've done is we we have them show up in a few ways in goals in incentives and in our values so one example of accountability in incentives is in our bonus plans. And I'll, I'll speak to the bonus plan that our executives belong to and, and how ESG is incorporated there and DEI as well. And so that bonus plan is set up like a balanced scorecard today. We have metrics that are financial and strategic, but for, for a company like Encore, which is in specialty financial services, you know if you think about what we do, we are people helping people. So, the S in ESG is an important component there. And so, we have metrics that are in that bonus plan that I was referring to. We have metrics that are focused on people and customers. And in our case, consumers are our customers. And so, on the people side, over the years, we've had metrics around things like inclusion, measuring inclusion, measuring employee net promoter score, measuring employee engagement score, or something or somewhere in the some measurement around diversity. And more recently, we've also introduced employee turnover into, into our incentive plan because it's, you know, this past year's talent has been a big topic in, in talent turnover, talent supply. In that incentive plan on the customer side, we've used customer satisfaction and call quality. Call quality just speaks to the quality of the calls that our call agents, call center agents make with, the, with their customers, with the consumers. And so together the people metrics and the customer metrics, they are all ESG metrics, and they make up about 30% weight in our executive bonus plan. So not not shabby. It's actually a sizable amount of weight. Another example of accountability, this year we also put specific DE&I goals with all of our executive team members to further, I think, highlight that, the importance of DE&I. So this sits in our personal goal set, not just in our incentive plan, but in our personal goal set. And then the other thing is, if you, if, you know, I'll say if you take a step with ESG, and again, I put DEI and within that broad umbrella of ESG. So not only are investors asking for more metrics and disclosures, the SEC is also leaning in that direction as well with some proposed regulations. And then, um, depending on the company, some clients and regulators might be asking for more and more of that as well. And don't forget the other audience or stakeholder I'll say here is employees and prospective employees. They also want to know from an ESG lens, right? They also want to know if the company they work for or potentially looking to work at is a strong corporate steward. So I think ESG plays out in a number of ways. Like I said, in our goals, in our incentives, in our values, in in even our value proposition.
0: You obviously do a lot in that area. I I think it's it's really interesting to look at what other companies do. And you're going to be publishing your first global ESG report later this year. And I'm curious about the takeaways you want to share with our audience as you underwent that journey. Yeah, yeah. To answer
1: this question, I think I'm going to just share a quick story. It's a multi-year ESG journey that we've been on, which started in 2020. And so if you think about maturity curves of any kind, they tend to have, you know, each stage is a little bit more adding on or building from the prior stage. So so ours is kind of set up that way too, as a multi-year journey. So in 2020, where, when we started, we focus on the, the core foundational elements. So we started with a materiality assessment, including interviewing stakeholders and different subject matter experts around the company. Materiality sus- assessment is supposed to land us on, well, what's the most material, important, critical topics in the ESG realm that are important to our stakeholders. That's what that assessment is supposed to, to help us uncover. We also spend time understanding the broader external ESG reporting landscape. So that included different rating firms out there. And there, there's a lot. There's a lot out there. And the different disclosure frameworks, there also are a lot of those out there too. And so we found that... So in addition to all of that, I think we also not i think we actually also research and benchmark our against our company peers our comp- competitors to help us decide on on kind of that broader landscape what what will work for our industry what will work for our company i think understanding our peer competitor set is also important and so from all this research in 2020 we came up with five pillars that guide our ESG focus and they are consumers so think of them you know in other companies be customers. In our world, consumers is that key component of customers. So so consumers, people, environmental, community, and operating responsibly. Those are the five pillars that anchors our focus areas within ESG. So then in 2021, we developed an operating model for ESG, to manage ESG within the company. We expanded our, we have an ESG steering committee which is chaired by me, made up of cross-functional leaders, cross-geography leaders, cross-business unit leaders across the globe. And that group really helped not just with decision-making around ESG, we do it in a very collaborative way, but also act as a conduit for when we need someone in a certain geography, in a certain area that might be, a, that might be tracking something or an expert at something. Well, let's go to the ESG steering committee member to help to help facilitate that that dialogue, right? A few other things we also did is we formalized our CEO and board governance oversight structure. So ESG is under the oversight of our nominating and governance committee of the board. I think it's pretty popular now with other companies and and as when they think about board oversight as well. What else do we do in 2021? So we selected our disclosure framework that will guide how we will report specific disclosures because there are so many out there. It helps to anchored to one or two to guide how you disclose and what you disclose. And hopefully later on, it can help us if we ever get to a point of setting future goals and commitments, these disclosure frameworks can help frame that for us as well. The other thing we did, we also doubled down on our communications around ESG. So whether it's internal facing communication or external facing communication. So on our website, in other places, we also want to get it more out there. So it becomes more of a common conversation topic rather than a special project. I don't want ESG to be a special project because it will always be seen at that. Hopefully, it will become something that we live as, you know, daily. So fast forward to this year, 2022. So now that we have all, all these foundational elements in place, it was the right time for us to understand what data we have out there and within the company and where we have them. And so you can imagine if across different countries and across different years, you know, different acquisitions, there's a lot of data out there. And so, because we, we have to, what we have to do is develop a scalable way to collect and measure that, that all the different types of data make sense of it. And so, so that's what we did in the earlier part of this year is figure that out. And so that's why I'm excited. And later this year, we're going to be publishing our first ESG report. Now, Diane, I think your question was on takeaways with this process. I, I think for me, the biggest takeaway is, that ESG is a multi-year journey. And I think what's even more is you have to set out to make intentional progress. By that, I mean progress will not happen accidentally. Progress will only happen intentionally. And if you go in with that plan and the intention and the clarity, and if you have the right governance structure to support that, I think you can actually make it happen. And and for us, we've been fortunate enough to, to make Incremental progress. Maybe that's we find a better way of living itself out. Our value. We find a better way to to just continue to to build on what we've done in the prior year, and so we'll ha- we have a lot more to go. ESG is complex. It's evolving. We'll keep evolving with it. That's the plan.
0: Well, I like how well you collaborated. I mean, earlier you said how many your North South America, India, all these places, and you've got all these cultures going. What was the biggest challenge to collaborate on something like that?
1: So great question, Diane, on collaboration. I think for us, the starting point to really invite that level of collaboration that we've been building and and evolving is really just around getting the right people at the table. And again, it isn't about getting all the right people at the table to begin with. I think we always have to start somewhere. And then from there, we've just been fortunate enough to, to continue to build on getting more of the right people at the table, having those conversations. And then really not just having the conversations, but owning the outcomes as well. So I think that's a really important part of the collaboration that we've been we've been doing and hopefully continue to build on.
0: It's really important to to get groups to collaborate. And this comes up a lot in the courses I teach. So I really appreciate you elaborating on that. And I you brought up something earlier that about being a woman and minority and and obviously in a C suite role. I'm curious if for our last question, just the wisdom you would give our audience who wants to pursue a STEM career and congratulations on that goal that you have set. But if they want to be you or be like you and get into a career like that, what advice would you give?
1: Yeah, certainly. I, I will just share my, share my own lessons that I've learned over the years and hopefully they will be meaningful for, for some folks. So I've been in the corporate workforce for almost 30 years. I remember in those earlier years where I found myself as the only female in the room and the only female and minority executive in the room. I would say from a wisdom tips perspective, hopefully the ones that I'm going to share now will work with within and outside of STEM and hopefully be inclusive of those beyond just female minorities. I think first I will say it's important for us to be open to navigate new grounds and not be afraid of making mistakes, right? Be open to trying new things that you've never done before. Think outside the box. So I love the statement I used to earlier you know, I don't know what I don't know. And what I found is that um, a lot of people find that statement very endearing because it's real when they hear it. And especially when they hear it from an executive. And I think that level of humility also invites help and support. And I don't think you need to be an executive to say, I don't know what I don't know. I think it's just being authentic. And when you do that more and more, you're inviting people in to really help you. It's amazing how, when you invite people in, how much they're willing to help. And I, I don't think I could have gotten to where I am without surrounding myself with great people. Another tip I would say, and I have a few, if you don't mind sharing, because these are just my own lessons learned. So another tip for me is to look out two roles, at, meaning be very strategic around your own career planning. So let me explain what that means is a lot of times when people are thinking about their career progression, they're always thinking about their next role. What I'm asking people to do is think about their next, next role, which is the role after that. Because if you have clarity on what your next, next role is, it will provide much clearer direction on what your next role should be, right? And then next, next role or next role doesn't, it's not necessarily by job title or job level hierarchy. You can grow your breadth of knowledge horizontally as well if you think about rounding yourself out and setting yourself up for success for other broader roles later. The notion of looking out two roles, it, it just forces you to think and be more strategic about the choices that you make today. It also ch- will trigger you to think a little bit more thoughtfully about what will success look like? What must success look like in your in that next role if you have more clarity and a sense of what that next, next role might be? Also, it will give you clarity around what you should learn from your next role to set yourself up to get that next next role. So that's a big one. Another one, I have two more. Another one I love is the notion of superpower. Figure out your superpower and market market the heck out of it internally and externally as your differentiator. So for me, my superpower is leading cultural transformations to drive long-term business success and outcomes. And so for me, it's once you know what that superpower is, Find the opportunities to showcase them, right? And you do it a few times. The next thing you know, that becomes your brand that's tied to your identity. That's tied to your brand. When you're looking for a job, when people call you to, to speak at a conference or or whatnot, that becomes your thing. And I think that's really important as a differentiator. We all, we all should have our own differentiator as to, you know, what, which is a core part of our brand. The final tip I think I would give is to never compromise your core values including the type of leader you want to be. The more you share about your own uniqueness and perspectives, the better. And don't let people define who you are. If you think about the substance of who you are, so for some, it may be accountability or vulnerability or empowerment, whatever that is, figure that out. as And and those should be your character leadership attributes. And they can also become something you're known for or respected for. And you can start Early. You you don't have to be an executive to to do that. Start early. Don't censor your own authenticity. And you should figure that out, in fact, before you get to the top, because I think authenticity will carry you much further in leadership than technical acumen. I sometimes think about technical acumen as, as gets you in the door. But then what differentiates you from a great, from a good between a good leader and a great leader is everything else. Right. And the fact that I'm a minority and a female, I believe, adds to the tapestry. And the different experiences and perspectives around the table. I want my voice to, you know, for me, I think my voice should be heard. And I believe my voice will be heard. And it's been one of those that I I kind of learned it along the way. You know, I didn't figure that out early on, but if I get to give tips and advice to others, those are the ones I would share.
0: Well, they're great mentorship advice. And I think that there's so much room for us to learn from people who have done what we want to do. And I think there's no, there's too many people reinventing the wheel when there's so much you can get from people like you and people that are have gone through certain paths, whether they're circuitous or straight up the ladder or whatever route. And I agree with you. There's so much breadth that we can get at now. If there are flatter organizations out there, they that's a lot of companies are doing that. And so we have to, to learn all these different areas sometimes to even go up. So I think that that's some great advice. And I, really appreciated you sharing all those great stories this was wonderful i enjoyed meeting you tracy thank you so much for being on the show thank you diane it was lovely we always love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments head over to gmn.net and say hello that's where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter be sure to follow global mentor network on twitter and linkedin And don't forget to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe for more tips to elevate your impact. While you're at it, leave a rating and comment. It helps us to keep improving the podcast for you. See you next time for another episode of Leader's Playbook.